0: On. My name is Taylor,
1: and my name is Patrick,
0: and I have to be honest, I almost said welcome to the next one.
1: And I have to be honest, I forgot until just now that I was supposed to have a question of the week this week.
0: Oh, okay, so Patrick gave me a lot of, a lot of flack on our uh, Y2Kids episode that we just recorded before this, um, about me not having my next pick ready, and you didn't even remember your, your question of the week.
1: How much of this book have you read?
0: You never gave it to me. You ordered it, and you've hogged it. Oh, okay, okay. All right, all
1: right. Folks, we have a double feature this week on the Drew Barrymore-thon, where we are watching every single Drew Barrymore movie. We had said two weeks ago, next week's episode will be Irreconcilable Differences. That's right, folks. I've been working on how to say that
0: one. He's literally been working on it.
1: Uh, And uh, we watched it, and we went, yep, that's not an episode. That is not an episode on its own we're going to last minute double feature this one
0: which sometimes just happens when you are doing a show where you haven't seen a lot of the source material
1: yeah you know like uh, we've talked about this before there are some purposeful doublings like when we do Charlie's Angels we're going to do that and Charlie's Angels full throttle in the same episode we know this in advance we're going to do the christmas ones in advance right like we or like our double them we know this in advance Um, Every once in a while we just go like, that's not a full episode, that's not a full meal, I'm sorry. Oh,
0: she's in it for five minutes and this is a boring movie? Well, (laughs) yeah, and we had two of those, so.
1: Yeah, we had two of those, so sometimes those get doubled. Uh, We're going to start this week with irreconcilable differences. The Blockbuster Video Guide to Movies and Videos 1995 writes about this film starring Ryan O'Neill, Shelley Long, and Drew Barrymore. Ten-year-old Barrymore sues her parents for divorce. O'Neal and Long shine as the defendants in this middling in-joke comedy about how success in Hollywood can spoil the family. Two and a half stars. And yes, it is available at your local Blockbuster video. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they gave Firestarter two stars. And I'm checking this right now.
0: I think it's a little bit of backwards day at, at Blockbuster but video.
1: They gave Firestarter two stars, and they gave Irreconcilable Differences two and a half stars.
0: That's blasphemy. This
1: is bullshit. (laughs) That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, Firestarter is like my favorite thing we've seen so far. Oh, yeah, first. And I think that that's going to continue for a while. Okay. (laughs) And that's not. That's not even like speaking, you know, um, like uber positively on Firestarter. It's just like, yeah, we're in the slog era.
1: Well, you know, we're also like, we got kind of like, we're bouncing around a little bit, right? Because. We paired the Stephen Kings, which means we jumped over irreconcilable differences. But then we're jumping over babes in Toyland because that's a Christmas thing that we're going to save. So we're in this weird, like, we're doing a movie from 84 and 89, and she just jumps up she a lot. She just, like, in
0: triples puberty. inside. <laughs> she triples in size. It's like, oh, we kind of love this one a little bit.
1: <laughs> um, listen, we were not the biggest fans of this movie.
0: Or it's, the next one that we're going to talk about.
1: Listen, I I don't really have any faults with with See in the Morning. The irreconcilable differences doesn't know what it wants to be. It's like a drama for like an hour, and then it becomes this ridiculous like wink at the camera sitcomy comedy like when Drew sues her parents. But then it goes back to being, and then it gets even darker. And like it is, it is a tonal fucking mess. It is a mess. To
0: be clear, he did not say a total fucking mess. He said a tonal fucking mess, which is different.
1: It's it's kind of both.
0: No, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a total mess.
1: (sighs) Yikes. It just really did nothing for me. And this is the kind of stuff that makes this show very hard.
0: I loved this movie for the first ten minutes. When it is, like, Drew Barrymore being five years old and doing a tongue-in-cheek intense comedy with her famous smirk, um, suing her parents, I go, like, oh, this is so freaking cute and so freaking fun. And then she disappears and it becomes a drama. Like, the first ten minutes of this are really strong.
1: They go, like, you're probably wondering how we got here. Yeah.
0: And, like, it's cute. Like, it works. I think she pulls it off. You know, I don't think it's genius, but I think it works. And it, it's, it's you know, it's executed well. Um, and then, yeah, it just, like, completely goes off the rails. But it, not in a, like, fun way. In a, like, suburbanite way. Like, in a just very boring vanilla way.
1: And apparently, um, Drew, not the biggest fan of this one either.
0: Mm. So
1: got this book from the library, Little Girl Lost, A Child Star's Descent Into Addiction and Out Again. A book that she wrote when she was 14 years old.
0: Can you fucking imagine writing a book at 14 years old? And
1: like we we've we talked about this like in the prep for the show that we don't have a ton of interest in being gossipy. In digging a lot into the personal life stuff. We're going to address some of it. Some of it's inevitable. Right. Um, When she marries Tom Green. And makes Freddie got fingered. Like there's some shit we got to address. You know. But in general. Like. um, I don't know. I know this. You can
0: find it for yourself. Yeah. We don't need to be the people to tell you.
1: Exactly. Like, I know this is a film history podcast, but leave the past in the past. Yeah. And it's also a film history podcast. It's not a celebrity gossip podcast. It's not a of celebrity, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's about the movies, and we're using the person as a vehicle. There is some stuff in here I want to pull out, and I want to address just because I think it is important to the filmography.
0: Yeah, sometimes the two coincide. Like, if you are actively, you know, in in addiction while you're filming something or whatever, which she will share in this, yeah, um, you know, that's different. But, you know, it is, which also trigger warning, um, discussion of drugs, alcohol, addiction, um, anything else?
1: Well, and how much it's stunk to make irreconcilable differences.
0: Yeah, trigger warning, irreconcilable differences.
1: No longer a supporting player, Drew was given... because it's Okay, I'm sorry, I should have said some of it's written in first person from Drew, some of it's co-written with Todd Gold, and it jumps to third person. This is the third person. No longer a supporting player, Drew was being given star billing on theater marquees. The picture was irreconcilable differences, a mediocre drama, co-starring Ryan O'Neill and Shelley Long that concerned a young girl who sues her callous, career-oriented parents for divorce due to emotional neglect. The movie had its moments, and it proved a wonderful showcase for Drew's ripening talent. Yet the irony of the role was too much to ignore. Without intention, it was life-imitating art, almost. And then talks about her her crappy relationship with her mother. Um, But here she writes...
0: I did keep thinking that throughout. And. That, I feel like, is not even gossip at this point, I will say. I feel like in the past year especially, especially with people like Jeanette McCurdy and and other child stars, like, Drew has been very open recently about her relationship with her mother and her poor relationships with her parents. She did a great interview with Brooke Shields recently upon, um, Brooke Shields' new documentary. I think it's called Pretty Baby. Um, I could be wrong. Um, which is crazy. So, like, that is, um, that is fact. You can, you can hear Drew talk about that. Uh, like seven days a week li- li- lately on the Drew Barrymore show.
1: Um, yeah, she even says at one point, for a while I wondered if I shouldn't try divorcing my parents. Um, but yeah, it, the movie. Compared to E.T., which was sheer heaven, irreconcilable differences was utter hell. It was racked by nonstop fighting. The director and the producer always wanted different things. When they finally did agree on something, which was rare, the actors wouldn't be satisfied. The littlest shots literally took up to 30 or 40 takes. It was unbearable. Ryan, who's Ryan O'Neill, who plays her father, uh, kept my sanity. There was one particular shoot, not even a scene, just a tiny shot that involved me, and it took us somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 takes before everyone involved was satisfied. By that point, and she was little. I mean, how old? She was a baby. Um,
0: not much, not too much older than E.T.
1: No, the movie came out two years later, so... Um, Maybe
0: a year older in terms of filming?
1: By that point, I was so emotionally drained, I broke down and cried. I had never felt stressed like that, and no one even looked at me um, sympathetically. I fled to my dressing room. A few moments later, Ryan came over. He was very fatherly. He draped his arm around me, then gave me a hug and shrugged. Shit happens, you know. I know, I nodded. We're professionals. Sometimes, sometimes we're forced to work with amateurs. He made me smile. Tomorrow's going to be better, he said. Really? You never know.
0: Interesting. Uh, you know, this is something that I touched on with um, uh, E.T. You know, when we, which you, if you haven't watched that episode, I definitely think that that is like a must-watch in terms of like the way we talk about her filmography as a young child, like in the, you know, in in the in the movies that have come since then. Um, I. I feel like in ET I mentioned based on the, um, the like behind the scenes footage that there was where Drew just loves, um, oh my gosh. Why did I almost say Steven Sondheim?
1: Steven Spielberg.
0: Steven Spielberg. Thank you. Um, I got musical theater on the mind. Uh, you know, Drew loves Spielberg she loves her co-stars, she loves the puppet of Et. she loves every single crew person working on the show, she loves her cinematographers, she loves the photographers, like, she was so supportive, and, and, in, oh oh my gosh, Spielberg created such, like, a supportive environment for the children on that, Drew included, and I think that they had a particularly special relationship, one that she still reflects on fondly today, and I said in that episode that, you know, how it's so interesting to see how she had such a high high so early on. And then, you know, I just have a feeling like it's gonna, it's gonna come crumbling down in the sense that people are not going to care to protect her in that way. Um, You know, she's a child working, but they're just going to see her as, as a worker bee. um, And that's exactly what she's talking about here.
1: It says, despite Ryan O'Neill's paternal optimism, Drew nearly quit acting after irreconcilable differences finally wrapped. Tensions from the arduous three-month-long production sapped the eight-year-old's enthusiasm, eight years old, and left her disillusioned. Acting, Drew believed, was supposed to be fun. It was her only means of escaping real problems, and she depended on it. But if acting was going to prove unpleasant, then she told her mother she didn't want to do it.
0: Which her mother would have never accepted because her mother wanted her to be a show baby. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know... This book, I I didn't even address the fact that this book is hard to find now. I was not about to drop 80 bucks on eBay. Um, And then I found, like, a crappy rip of it online on, like, a sketchy website that only lets you borrow it for, like, an hour at a time. And then I finally, like, well, I first put in a, a call to the local library. They had it, but it was very clearly, like, in a box and a box and a box in the basement. And it took them like a month to pull it out. Like I tried to get it way ahead of time so I could like read the whole damn thing. I had to do some skimming because it came in just in time. And um, like it is, this copy is from 1990. This book is not easy to find now. Um, and the, the book mainly is about her as, as the uh, subtitle suge- suggests her... Uh, uh, Bout with addiction And The back of the book says this uh, When you get up to these AA meetings And say thank you I am very grateful for my sobriety I think about that every day All addicts do You are never without the fear Of returning to your old ways And losing everything that you've gained When you're sober You don't forget what it was What it was like to use It's hard Really hard And you take it day by day Hour by hour, minute by minute. That's the way it's going to be for as long as I'm alive. But at least I'm alive. Drew Barrymore, aged 14. Summer, 1989. And we're jumping to 89 to talk about See You in the Morning in a second. And a lot of the in-between of this book is her starting to drink. Her starting to... um, The real thing is cocaine. And, and I, Which around. I
0: believe that she started by age eight, if not before. Um,
1: I'd have to. I'd have to check that.
0: I th- I feel like I've I've heard that before, but maybe I'm slightly off.
1: Um, I believe that I have lost my place, so I would love if you could stall for a minute.
0: All right, well, would you like me to move on to our next movie, or should I continue talking about reconcilable differences? Do you
1: have anything else you'd like to add?
0: Um. No, not particularly. I think that there there are some very solid, good parts of this movie, and I think that there's a lot that didn't work. It seems like that tonal fuckfest, for lack of a better term, um, was you know, partially due to the fact that there was a lot of tension on the set and uh, within the people working on, on, the sh- on the movie. So I think it comes through. Um, I think it absolutely comes through.
1: Um, and, and here we go. Jumping a little bit, it says, um, Getting Stone became a welcome addition to Drew's already considerable repertoire of cigarettes and alcohol. It also became her preferred antidote to the psychological distress of school. Pot was more easily had than alcohol, too. All Drew had to do was pop over to Amy's and smoke with Amy's mother. The oddest women of musicians and stragglers who collected there were always ready for an impromptu party. It is a lot of her at a very young age, partying, uh, uh, being with the wrong people. At one point, she, with
0: adults, she calls.
1: Uh, she she says like life was one big party. Um, chapter nine is called Busted. The first four words. This is obviously a bit of a ju- jump in time, right? I loved cocaine. Period. That's how that chapter starts. She was a kid. <laughs>
0: she was a kid. A kid. I. It's so crazy, and this like, is just such I a testament know, to like Hollywood. Is because like I, I'm not even trying to be funny. I am 25 years old, and I I do not even know how I would get cocaine. I live in a urban metropolitan area i'm sure it's all around me i would not even know where to begin unless i tried to go on like fucking tinder and just say like does (laughs) anyone have cocaine and they get banned like i would literally not know how to get it so so. well that's what i'm saying is like that is such a telling thing for how hollywood is and how it is truly all around you
1: yeah it Listen, we are not the people to speak on this, but Jesus Christ, you cannot forget that she was a kid. I mean, she's talking about coming out the other side and a book she wrote when she was 14 years old coming out the other side. I mean, there are chapters about going in and out of rehab, in and out of AA meetings, you know, like it is a, 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 uh, a long time coming. All the crap about um the tabloids talking about her. And at one point, and I, and I didn't bookmark this, at one point, she's sober the tabloids say that she relapsed it upsets her so much that she relapses you know
0: she's a kid it's like kendall roy she's <laughs> yeah great.
1: just like that um but yeah i mean we we felt like it was necessary to talk about and we're going to talk about there's still a little bit more to say um in this book but we can so she she doesn't get a lot of parts for a couple years right she makes Babes in Toyland with, with Keanu Reeves, which we're going to come back to in December. Um, and so it's kind of a dry spell. She makes an after-school special, which she says was filmed at the hospital that she was in rehab at, you know.
0: Because, um, you know, I think her mom particularly really wanted her to just keep working and pretend as if everything's fine.
1: So we jump really to 1989 and a movie called See You in the Morning – Starring Jeff Bridges, Farrah Fawcett, and is it Alice Krieg? Kriege? I don't know who she is. I really liked her in this movie. I thought she was very, um, very charming. Uh, parents and children must all make adjustments when Bridges and Krieg tie the knot, each for the second time. Well intentioned, warm, though sometimes cliched, romantic comedy. This movie, two stars, and uh, yes, it is available at your local Blockbuster video. This I really didn't have any problem with it. It's a little sleepy. it's a little too, it's a full two hours, not entirely necessary. but I found it to be like a very easy watch. I think that Jeff Bridges is very likable. Both of the women who play as wives, Fawcett and Krieg. Um, like it's it's like a it's an interesting cast that you can watch. You know, it's it's digestible. Yeah, it's like a regular drama. Yeah, it's something that I'm sure like my grandma liked back in the day. You know, um, it's very inoffensive. But like, I, that's not a problem, you know.
0: Yeah, I found it a bit, to, bit of a snooze fest. Um, you know, I I agree with all the things you said. I think that I was a little less charmed by it than you. I found it just a little dry um you know i love a good rom-com but i just i found it a little stale in that sense
1: it's weird like this calls it a rom-com and like i would just call it a drama like i just think it's like a
0: romantic yeah romantic drama
1: yeah i i don't know like it just to to rate it below um irreconcilable differences i guess just because it's Not coherent, not shooting for the stars like that movie is. I I don't know, but this book kind of sucks.
0: The blockbuster book, not Drew's. The blockbuster
1: book, um, like that, yeah, rating it, giving it the same rating as Firestarter, but they're both below irreconcilable differences, makes no sense, none whatsoever. Jeff Bridges is like a very likable person and very easy to watch. Drew, um, like what did you say? You said she triples in size
0: yeah it's very jarring I will say it is very very jarring going from her in irreconcilable differences to this because she is a teenager um I don't think I mean you teach 12 year olds so maybe you were aware um, before me but I think that this is the first time that I was like first of all you know Patrick and I were talking about this recently uh, I can't remember who sparked this conversation if it was someone on a podcast or something um but there are no movies about just like, tweens and like children anymore they just like don't exist they're like animated um and also if they do have them the the tweens and children are played by like 19 year olds um and so it's very hard to find movies being made today that have like a adequate representation of like what a person is what a child is like at that point in their life um but that was done all the time you know and and, and drew is a, is a testament to that and i don't think i had realized that she is like literally going through puberty but almost in like a little boy way like her voice is like changing a little bit and her body's obviously changing. She's she's sprouting up like a like a um tree, and um she just is so like awkward. Not in a like she is awkward way, but in a just like you can't be twelve and not a little bit awkward. Like you just you ooze awkwardness.
1: She's also addicted to drugs. Yes, you know, like you can't. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read something else from the book in a second. Like you can't. Like, forget that, that not only is she, like, just, like, an uncomfortable preteen, she's also a drug addict.
0: Yes. This is very true. I don't mean to, to dismiss that. No, not that. saying that
1: you were, but, like, it makes for a particularly just kind of, like, funky. She's also, like, not even close to the focus of the movie. It's really mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges' movie, you know. And so, like, she's got a scene where she, like, does the, the stereotypical... Movie girl thing where she rebels by stealing from the department store. It's kind of lazy, it's dismissed. He gives her a good talking to. That's about the end of that, um, in her arc of you know growing up and being defiant. Um, there is a funny scene at the end of the movie that we're just gonna spoil because you don't need to watch See You in the Morning. Maybe you can suggest it to your aunt or something. Um, where they can't find mom and dad, and they're like, where the hell are they? It's not literally mom and dad. It's their stepdad, but you get the idea. Like, where the hell are they? Oh, no, like, their clothes are all over the place. They left dinner half-eaten. They got kidnapped, and they call the police, and the police find them, in, you know, doing stuff in the bathroom. And it's, like, it's a really funny, successful bit in the middle of what is mainly a drama. Um, and I was like, yeah, that, that kind of saved it in the last 10 minutes a little bit for me.
0: I will say, and for all the reasons you mentioned before, she seems visibly and noticeably checked out in this. Well, I will read well, you something. She looks state. very like she is saying the words and she is walking where she needs to walk, but it is very like dead behind the eyes. and And you can tell that something ain't right.
1: So she doesn't really want to make the movie. Uh, When Drew was cast in the movie See You in the Morning, a drama about the effects of divorce on children starring Jeff Bridges and Vera Fawcett, it was being filmed over four months in New York, ordinarily a cause for celebration. However, Drew didn't want to go. It was an abrupt change of pace from previous films Drew had worked on. Though she'd read for the See You in the Morning part, then auditioned and waited anxiously to see if she'd gotten the part, when it came time to depart, she balked with an extraordinary obstinacy. I've never seen that word in my entire life. I'm probably horribly embarrassing myself. That's a new one from this English teacher. Who cares about a stupid movie? She scoffed to her disbelieving mother. Work had always been her saving grace, a stroking of ego that she avidly pursued. And now for no apparent reason, she wanted no part of it. On the surface, Drew was protesting against separation from her friends. A single day away was too long, she argued, but truth be told, underlying her complaints was a fear of being cut off from her addictions. The power of drugs and booze had seduced her into believing that being high was more appealing than making movies. Drew fought a, forced battle, fought a fierce battle to back out of the commitment, but it was to no avail. Her manager and agent decided the move was a good career move. In January, Drew arrived in New York for a turbulent four-month stay. I just want to go back home, I whined to my mom, and sit in the sun. And I want to drink beer, get stoned, and way fucked up, I added to myself. That was my attitude. The booze and pot had obviously made me a different person. It scared me. I mean, if I wasn't an actress, which had always been the saving anchor of my identity, then who was I? And then there is a section... Oh, here it is. To your point, being a little checked out, right? And the At the same time as being a preteen. Uh, exactly addressed here. No one I worked with had a clue as to the double life I was leading. They were all nice and kind to me. If I seemed glum and depressed, which I often did, they chalked it up to adolescence and tried cheering me up. Little did anyone realize I was just trying to get to the days as best I could, thinking only of the fun I was going to have on the weekend. But uh, there's something else. There's a section about Jeff Bridges I've lost. But you get the idea. Like, the adults thought she was kind of being bump on a loggy, and they went, oh, you know, she's a kid. She's growing up. It's a tough time. Really, she was, you know, um,
0: an yearning. addict who couldn't
1: wait for the weekend. Yeah. yeah. And there's a section where she said –
0: Also, that, I'm sure partially even away from addiction, working for the weekend in the sense that she does not like this job, you know, in yeah. the way that other people just work for the weekend.
1: Yeah, and she, she says that she – To like draw a professional line, she would not party the nights before she had to shoot, and she would wait until the weekends if she did have to shoot all throughout the week. But pretty clear she did not have to shoot a ton, because she's just not in the movie a ton. And a lot of the time, she's just around because it's like a family scene.
0: Yeah. Very interesting.
1: Um, And then it looks like I have one more page marked. I don't know if I – somebody wrote Oh No! in this book, which I'm sure they wrote in 1993. Um, oh, one more section on See You in the Morning. On September 12th, after a brief hospital stay of six days, Drew, against medical advice, flew to New York with her mother to loop dialogue for the movie See You in the Morning and to audition for a play. She was contractually obligated to work on the movie. The play was icing and anticipated her successful treatment and released sometime in the fall. Um, however, Drew hadn't touched a drink or any drugs for 76 days on the plane, she had a bad premonition about the trip. I was real afraid something bad was going to happen to me, she recalls. And it did on September 15th. And halfway down the page, someone asks her in the ladies' room, Do you do blow? You can fill in the rest yourself, right? This book ends, keep in mind, she wrote this when she was 14 years old, okay? She writes at the end of this, Unfortunately, there isn't a nice and neat ending to this tale like in the movies. But that's what it means to be a recovering addict or alcoholic. Recovery is an ongoing, lifelong process. Still, mine is a happy ending. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm not someone special. Whatever I've accomplished has been through hard work, tears, pain, love, and more hard work. My goals are simple. To stay sober and to live a good life. All I can do is the best I can.
0: Wow. A lot of... um valuable, poignant, and mature insight from a 14-year-old. Um, I think back to when I was 14 and, um, I was going through it. I was really, really going through it. I had a very emotional time. My mom has, is, you know, we look back on it and laugh, my mom basically told me that I was the worst person in the world from ages, like, 12 to 19. Um, I was 14 specifically. I, you know, was just starting high school. Um, I was starting to have boyfriends that I thought were be all end all. I was just like, you know, getting my heart involved in things that I should had no you know, position to be getting my heart involved in, you know, I was starting to think about alcohol, you know, but I wasn't drinking, but I had friends who were starting early and blah, 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 you know, I was going through it at 14. Um, and you know, I had my Tumblr and I would reblog some deep thoughts or whatever, but like, I was not reflective to this extent. Um, You're I'm also sure- not a
1: cocaine addict.
0: No, I you know she obviously had a much you know more challenging life than me you know I'm I'm not denying that I'm just saying like you know it is amazing well, I'm just saying, like
1: you would see why that process would be a bit accelerated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, you know, I'm sure part of this poignancy is, is, you know, having a, an editor who is working with a child and having this co-writer that's working with a child and, and, you know, taking maybe some un unfiltered thoughts and then filtering them through. But, um, it seems like it's coming from the heart and, you know, that is these, you know, very difficult life experiences, whether it's addiction or trauma of some sort, you know, these are the things that make you grow up real quick. And, um, it is just really incredible, not in a good way, I'm sorry, incredible is not the word to use, it's really tremendous, uh, to see how she navigates this at such a young age, I can't, I just truly can't imagine it.
1: Um, this was kind of the episode where we addressed these things, because a lot of it aligned with, um, this era, and of course this book, and this book coming in just in time, uh, we have another movie from '89 next week. It's a movie called "Far From Home." Before then, do you have any final thoughts? A bit of a short episode, despite being a double feature. But these movies are unremarkable.
0: You know, I mentioned this to you earlier when we did the Vince Vonathon, I I think that I had. A much stronger stamina for those early movies that Vince was barely in. Maybe it was because it was the first time we were doing the project in and of itself and I hadn't experienced any fatigue for this format yet. Um, Maybe it was the fact that, you know, like the movies were just um, so crazy and and funny and and horrible that you know vince it didn't matter if vince was in them or not um but for some reason i just really struggle with all of the movies so far that don't really have drew front and center which none of them really do um i find myself just really like yearning and like longing for drew to come on the screen um i think partially that's because i love Drew Barrymore in a way that I didn't, you know, did not... I, I really liked Vince Vaughn. I think that, you know, you know we've, we've... I don't need to give my thoughts on Vince Vaughn because we did it for 50 episodes. Um, but, like, I love Drew Barrymore. I love drew barrymore and so like i am always like come on like this is the drew barrymore i'm so excited to be watching these movies like where is drew um i want to see this you know evolution i want to see you know her take on this role i want to see her do blah 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 so i definitely find myself just having like a, a significantly less um i i found myself having significantly less stamina when she's barely in the movies which she just happened to barely be in these two movies
1: yeah, the nineties are I think a little rough for me. I'm looking forward to a movie called Poison Ivy long before we even knew we were gonna do the Drewberg movie. I don't think even before the Vince Vaughnathon, I added that one to my watch list. It seems interesting to me. Very similar to the uh, Alicia Silverstone movie The Crush. I'm looking forward to a movie called the Amy Fisher story. Um and then it's like scream, like it's it's a little dry for me in the '90s personally, is for what I'm looking forward. Um, I'm looking
0: forward to the wedding singer, never been kissed.
1: Yeah, but then that's like that's when we start getting like yeah, we hit this like there's there's a run that goes, uh, wedding singer ever after, home fries, never been kissed, Charlie's Angels, Donnie Darko, Freddie got fingered, like boo boo boo, like we're gonna have like a good like three months. It's the the Vince breakup wedding crashers area, which was even shorter. But there are some South of Heaven, West of Hells out there that we're gonna have to uh find our way through. This was um you know, and it just like, it's also just like I don't wanna boo hoo about this project we're taking on. It's hard to be inspired when it's like all right, another family drama. Well,
0: yeah, I think, you know, I'm not trying to, like, sh- poo on family dramas, but I think it's hard to be inspired when the art itself is not and very inspiring. And you watch, like, four of
1: them in a row. Yeah,
0: like, you know, we, to a certain extent, and I'm not trying to knock filmmakers but like there is a formula to to these like sort of family dramas especially in this era you like know i like, said the now girl they're different
1: shoplifting at bloomingdale's like I- yeah I- like I- we I- we know
0: it's after school special like yeah. we got it you know um i feel like now you see a lot of like fresh twists on those things something that i always think about is um mark mary and some other people which we loved you know very fresh twist on a um, um on a modern rom-com um you know i, fe- I feel like people are making an, af- an- you know, a pretty clear effort now to, to shake things up, but it was a formula at this time. These movies were particularly jilted and seemed to be a perfect storm of issues, you know, Drew dealing with her own set of issues included, um, and so, yeah, it was just, you know, we have to, we have to, I don't know, what's the term? We have to dig through the sky to get to the rainbow. I don't,
1: Listen, you take a uh, hundred shits, one of them's bound to land in the toilet.
0: <laughs> and that, folks, is why you should listen to the Vince Wanathon.
1: Yeah, there are some people who jumped on for Drew and are like, what the fuck did he just say? Yeah. That's a Taylor special in like a December episode. I, can't, I think it was...
0: God, I have no earthly no, idea. No,
1: I know. It was the Dave Franco one.
0: I don't even know what movie Unfinished that is. Unfinished
1: Business. Was it Unfinished Business?
0: That's, oh, it's Dave Freko. That's what I said. I thought you said James.
1: All right, well, now I care w- which one that was. Um, you do the spiels while I uh, look this up.
0: Um, all right. Well, you can find us in the place where you can find every single thing we do, which is featurepresentationvideo.com. That is featurepresentationvideo.com. We will bring you things five days a week there from articles to reviews to TLDRs to podcasts. Um, in addition to the Barry Morathon, we also do a podcast called Why Two Kids. Oh,
1: of course, it wasn't unfinished business because. Uh, the very funny Jack was a was, uh, host of that, a uh, co host of the episode. It was, believe it or not, the brawl in cell block 99 dragged across concrete double feature.
0: Interesting. Which kind of makes sense, I guess. Go ahead. I don't know. I thought unfinished business made sense. Um,. Anywho, uh, we also do another podcast called Why 2 kids where we are watching everything from 1995 to 2005 and reminiscing on our childhood. We eat fun snacks, um, and we we have a lot of fun over there. We also have our flagship podcast feature presentation, which we put out episodes on whatever, whenever. Um, we've had some recently on uh, Succession, and uh, there's another one recently, right? No. No, just Succession. I'm thinking of future episodes. Yeah. Um haven't gotten there yet uh but yeah you can find uh the show online at the twitter handle is
1: barry morathon
0: barry morathon thank you um that's what i thought but i didn't want to misspeak so you can find us on twitter at barry morathon you can find me on letterboxd at taylor malone and on twitter at Malone.
1: you can find me at patrick j regal everywhere you find people online next week a movie called far from home also from 89 that episode will drop next friday
0: we will see you then
1: see you then folks